Welcome to our latest podcast, where we take a short stroll exploring and finding out about Lancaster's eight canal side mills, which were once at the heart of the local economy. At the same time, get to see another side of the city. The canal towpath in the city area has been refurbished, and the walk is only three quarters of a mile or 1.2 kilometres long. There are many access points to the towpath, but we suggest you begin at the Waterwitch pub between Aldi and the Royal Lancaster Infirmary. For sat nav, use LA11SU by the Canal Bridge 98A. Do make sure to look out for the bird life by the canal. Our first question is, why were the mills all built along the canal? Lancaster Canal from Preston was opened in 1797. Water transport was then by far the cheapest way to move heavy goods. Coal for the steam-powered mills came from South Lancashire and finished products went off to southern markets. In the early 19th century there were plenty of large sites for big mills this far east of built-up Lancaster. All but one of the mills was built before the railway arrived from Preston in 1840. Firstly we have Queen's Mill. Demolished in 1983, then a B&Q store and now Aldi. It was originally built by Satterthwaite and Burrow in 1840 for cotton spinning. It then made table bays and leather cloth. For those who are unaware what these products are, table bays is a woven covering for tables and other surfaces. Leather cloth was calico coated with linseed oil and embossed to create a covering mimicking leather. Oil cloth was an early waterproofed cotton textile. By 1886 it had become part of the story group of mills. This was where anadlipta paper was first made. It then became the home of Rembrandt Intaglio, owned by Stories, who pioneered colour photogravia printing. Some of the mill stones were reused for the walling. Next we come to Whitecross Mills, between bridges 99 and 100. This is Lancaster's oldest mill, 1802, and an early user of steam power for cotton spinning. Coal came here by canal till the 1940s. Thomas Mason and two later owners ran it before the stories took over in 1856. Expansion and a fire in 1861 led to many years of rebuilding. Table bays and leather cloth were the main products. The site, after clearance of outbuildings, now houses many manufacturers, distributors and professional offices. The frontage, in Scottish baronial style, was military barracks, 1854-81, to 81, and then stories offices. At Bridge 100, the towpath switches to the other side of the canal, and we then come to Moor Lane South Mill, between bridges 101 and 102. This started as a sailcloth factory, and, after being bought in 1825 by Samuel Gregg of Quarry Bank Mill in Cheshire, it was converted to spinning and weaving cotton. The current building dates from 1825 to 31. The stories took it over in 1861. After the mill closed in 1982, the site became the offices for Reebok, who then moved out and it is now NHS offices. The Red Water Tower is a local landmark. Now we reach Moor Lane North Mill, beyond Bridge 102. This was built in 1819 by Heen and produced fine worsted yarn. By 1828 it had switched to cotton spinning, and by 1846 it was owned by Samuel Gregg for additional cotton spinning capacity. 
The stories took over in 1861 and it closed in 1975. After 1989 it became a hall of residence for the University of Cumbria, an impressive six-storey building, though no longer owned by the University. Greenfield Mill, before Bridge 102 to the east and not visible from the towpath, was a Williamson Mill and the last of the eight to be built in 1864. It was an imposing five-storey high building demolished between 1975 and 1982 and the site is now housing. Bath Mill, beyond Bridge 102 to the east, built by John Threlfall in 1837 for cotton and by 1864 it was part of Williamson's. Again, five storeys high and it made table bays. Demolished in 1974, the site is now housing and stones from the mill were extensively reused and the site has won housing design awards. Albion Mill was at Bridge 103. The mill has mostly been demolished. Built between 1821 and 1825, this was William Jackson's canal-side cotton mill. By 1848, silk production had been added, and after 1881, when owned by William Sly, it specialised in producing coconut matting. The final mill is Ridge Lane Mill at Bridge 104. This was a silk mill when it started in 1837, built by Henry Gregson and Thomas Mason, who were solicitors. It had a short working life, ultimately making oilcloth, and was largely demolished in 1889, when the houses of Ridge Street and Green Street were built on the site. So, of the eight mills, five have been largely or completely demolished, with only a few reminders of their existence in reused stonework, street names or minor outbuildings. Three mills are still in use after some clearances of outbuildings and considerable refurbishment. This includes Whitecross, the largest of the eight mills, and still a major location for employment in Lancaster. There were also notable textile mills around Lancaster, in villages like Golgot, Halton, Dolphinholm and Caton. But by the 1870s, rising demand meant that the main manufacturing base needed to move west of Lancaster to the rail-connected site of Loonside, where Williamson's built one of the largest factories in Europe. It specialised in linoleum. This site has been demolished for new housing. The history of Lancaster's textile mills shows three abiding features of the textile industry in the 19th century and now. The first is the sector's ability to expand and contract as global demand and local competitiveness have waxed and waned. The second is the switching of products and technologies as fashion and styles have changed in Lancaster from low-value products to more specialist ones. The third is the many changes of ownership leading to consolidation initially into the two Lancaster firms of Williamson's and Stories and then their eventual takeover by even larger outside firms and both their final demise and that of the textile production in Lancaster. We hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of our podcast and that you'll wish to listen to some of our others about the history and heritage of the Lancaster and Morecambe district. These are all based on the over 120 walks and guides to the area written by Gordon Clark, published by Lancaster Civic Vision on their webpage at www.lancastercivicsociety.uk where they can be read, downloaded and printed free of charge by clicking the tab Guides 
leaflets and walks to the Lancaster and Morecambe district.